Hello, everyone, and welcome to Plastic Possibilities, a podcast produced by Plastics Today. I'm Norbert Sparrow, editor of Plastics Today, and today we're going to be talking about the crazy ride that resin pricing has been on for the past few months. If you're a plastics processor, you're well aware of the tight supply of materials and sharp rise in the prices of resin. And to get a better understanding of these market dynamics, you know, how we got here, what we can expect to see in the months ahead, we have invited Ambrose Conroy, CEO and founder of Seraph, to shed some light. Welcome to the podcast, Ambrose. Thanks, Robert. It's great to be here to talk to you today. Great. Yeah, well, good to have you here as well. First things first, though, tell us a bit about yourself and, and the company that you founded. Sure. So my name is Ambrose Conroy, and I, I started a management consulting company about 10 years ago. I've got a, a career in management consulting. I kind of a different path to get here. I studied history in college, and, and I like to look at things through a, a historical lens. And I've, I've learned my technical skills from some master engineers at large German companies, my finance skills from, from CFOs who I've had the privilege of working with. But I, I came out of large consulting firms and really wanted to start something that enabled us to problem solve. And there are a lot of firms that come out and give advice on, on what you should do and go away. I, I, about 10 years ago, had a vision to drive real quantifiable change for the clients that I was working with. And the last large firm I worked with, I really got tired of writing reports and, and recommending similar changes every couple of years to the same clients. I know good and I knew good and well that they couldn't really implement everything that we recommended them to implement. And that was part of the whole game at a large firm. It was about giving clients a brass ring that they could reach for knowing that they couldn't actually get there. So we really tried to do things differently. Uh, Seraph has grown by focusing on accountable business transformation. We ha- we execute a lot of moves for our clients. So when they're looking to, to move and from China to the U.S. or from the U.S. to China, Mexico, anywhere around the world, we've done hundreds of moves. And that really gave us a unique set of skills that translated into crisis management. So we do a lot of work in the automotive industry for suppliers where we get involved with crisis management when they start to have problems with their OEMs. Uh, they can't produce enough. Uh, plastic processors are a key example here. We've worked with a number of injection molding shops where they just get behind and they, they lose sight of their OEE. They get into this vicious cycle where they're doing massive numbers of tool changeovers and can't figure out how to get out of it and how to negotiate with their clients to to really do the right thing and, and get back to a normal operating level. And they just keep spinning because they're pushed with high demand to, to continue to drive, to continue to deliver product. But if they continue to deliver product blindly, it doesn't really work. So we, we take a step back and we really look at, from a data-driven perspective, how companies are running. And, and we've done things like set up a, a sister company called Production Net, which really focuses on OEE and helping plastic processors, as well as many, many others, to operate much more efficiently. The tool we set up that came out of our, our crisis management work We'll set it up in 24 hours at most places, and it really gives a good, clear snapshot of OEE, and it allows people to start pulling the levers to improve their operations on a real-time basis. So we've, we've got a couple of other startup companies that we've, we've grown and nurtured over the last decade to really help with the consulting work that we've done and, and to give us an area that I think makes us unique, a sandbox where we can test out the things we recommend our clients should do 
using our own money, using our own skills, using our own people in, in what I consider in your perfect environment because we don't get pushback. We don't have to deal with challenges from politics and outside pressures within the client organization. We control things. We've, we've even looked at buying a couple of uh, injection molding shops. Unfortunately, we haven't closed on any of those at this point in time, but but we haven't closed on them more because we couldn't find the right economic model to take care of the employees at the shop as well as make it profitable. We've got a, a unique culture where we really make sure that we take care of our employees. I think it's family. We want to make sure that everybody is paid very well, uh, has challenging work to do, and can contribute very actively to the growth of the company. So that's that's really why we started to what we try to do. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, um, wish you all the all the best in those endeavors. Um, and you mentioned, you know, uh, problem solving and crisis management. So as I was saying at the top of this podcast, uh, resin prices have been skyrocketing. Um, the, the recent winter storm, which shut down 80 percent of U.S. resin production, is, is only one of the factors. Can you take us through recent events that have brought us to this point? Absolutely. It's you know, I, I look back at, at the negative oil prices we had at the beginning of COVID. And we all, everyone was saying that the oil prices are going to stay low and we'd pass peak oil and we're not quite at peak oil, but, but we're, we're not at negative oil at all at this point. So we're, we've gone from a massive oversupply to rationalizing supplies, demand and supply have adjusted. The winter storm definitely had a big impact in, in Texas. You know, power went out, water went out, oil and gas went out, ERCOT made some questionable decisions. I think we can all say in hindsight. And one of the big firms I work with, a lot of the guys from there are at ERCOT at this point in time from the energy practice. And I've had some interesting conversations there. And for them, shutting off the natural gas compression facilities, which really shut down everything else in the state, was a, a retrospectively very bad decision. But, but prior to the storm in Texas, there have been a lot of ongoing macroeconomic challenges associated with demand and growth. And, and we've seen in labor a key challenge, especially. There have been a lot of COVID-related absences going on that have driven a lot of shock. So it's not just normal external factors, things outside of the operations for the plastic processors. It's inside the operations as well. You've got skilled labor. You've got hourly labor who are calling out because of, of COVID. Either they have COVID, they think they may have been exposed to COVID, or they had a night out drinking and they want to say that, they can't come in because they uh, maybe got exposed to COVID. And if they get a COVID test, they can come in and they can be okay. So we've seen things like that. And I've got some clients now where, where more than the absentee rate is now more than 25%, which is historically unprecedented. You would have not retained those people in the past, but because of the rules and regulations around COVID and, and just medical in general, they're, letting these people call out, they know some of them are abusing it. They'll get cleaned up as, as the world returns to normal. But you know, being able to say that you've possibly been exposed to COVID, get a COVID test and then come back to work is a, is a real challenge. Um, it, it's a good policy to prevent the whole workforce from getting sick when it's used appropriately, but there are a few bad apples I think are that are exploiting this. And we're also seeing challenges with the, around labor with, with all the incentive programs that have been put in place. So right now we've got a lot going on in terms of incentives that, that are really restricting the production of, of resin. So we've got a lot of people are, again, calling out 
They're getting extra stimulus money. They're getting a lot of higher unemployment. And it's just really driving some interesting dynamics in the workplace. So if you're trying to run a production facility and trying to produce resin, it's not going as well as it should. Uh, so from a labor perspective, there's definitely a lot going on there. Um, we're, we're also seeing, you know, looking generally at, at polypropylene pricing, we saw some crazy things happen at the beginning of the year, uh, almost about a 60% increase in polypropylene pricing per pound uh, through March. And, and that's just, yeah, it, it's impossible to run a business when you've got that going on. At the start of March, we had about 12%, uh, according to the numbers that we found, of production facilities online, we're now at about 70%. So there's been a huge increase in the capacity that's come online. But even with that capacity coming online, we're still seeing a, a, a balance. The, the producers aren't bringing up everything right now. And we did see a little bit of a dip in in pricing in, in March. And, and Norbert, I think you commented on this in, in uh, Classics today, but there was a little bit of this. We think that the polypropylene monomer feedstock yeah, increasing a little bit less demand for that for a short period of time helped to moderate prices slightly in March at the end. But but now in April, we've seen another increase and and we're expecting to see because global regional demand and regional supply constraints, a very steady or increasing price in, in most residents at this point in time. You know, you've got challenges like people driving less right now due to COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, half of North American polypropylene is a byproduct of gasoline. So when we're not driving very much, we're constraining the raw material supply. And we're not going to crack the oil just to get polypropylene because there's just nowhere to store the gasoline or store the other byproducts. So we have a, a unique balanced system that when everything works well, the capacities meet up and we've got enough. Uh, and with everyone staying at home, you've got the the final real challenge that I see here is that people used to spend a lot of money going out, they go to the movies, they go to dinner, they go to amusement parks, they travel. None of that's possible right now. So with plastic being in almost everything that we use every day, the demand has skyrocketed. People have a lot of people still have a lot of money to spend. And they're not necessarily saving a tremendous amount more. They're buying more things. And by buying more things, they're increasing demand tremendously on the resin supply chain and and consuming more plastics, which is great for the industry, but definitely a constraint. Yeah. So, yeah, um, um, you actually uh, kind of answered my next question, which uh, so, you know, we're talking about the uh, supply situation. Uh, demand is also rising. So you're saying that's uh, that's because uh, people are just buying stuff. And of course, plastics is in everything. Is that is that most of the uh, most of what you're saying? I think that's really what it is. I think it's it's really the consumers being forced to stay at home that reduce their spending on experiences and services and they transfer it to goods and be with plastics being pervasive across many different products and, and almost everything in the economy, uh, we're just seeing the demand rising greatly. And and you're seeing different regions supporting it. So China came back on very quickly and China produces a lot of plastic parts. Um, the U.S. is now coming back online. Mexico's back online with, with some blips. But we've got Europe shutting down. So if, as Europe goes down, that's going to put pressure on the U.S. again and, and China again to really 
bolster the supply of the goods that people want to buy because people aren't going to buy less. You know, we've got the Amazons of this world that deliver things to your door so you don't even have to go out to the store anymore. It's become a very uh, consumer-centric and, and easy to facilitate consumer-driven world. Right. Now, uh, one, you know, uh, just uh, one possible way to supplement supplies through imports, but that has not been a um, really much uh, provided much temporary relief, has it? And, uh, or has it? Uh, tell me. It, I don't think I don't think it has. I, I think you're right. It really hasn't provided much temporary relief. And there are a couple of good reasons for that. I think the regionalization that we're seeing developing within the economy right now as a necessity due to COVID shutdowns. You know, as I said earlier, Europe is shutting back down again, and and France locked down, um, Ireland and the UK are still heavily locked down, and even with the lockdowns, they're still seeing growth of COVID. They're still seeing spreading with these new variants. You, if you could keep the resin production that was in the regions online, you'd have some potential relief. But we've got container shortages right now. Uh, ships coming into LA Long Beach port. We do watch that very closely because we've got a lot of clients that bring in goods through those ports and they were at a multi-week delay uh at, at in february and, and we're now down to a nine-day delay of of goods flowing through the port you've got things like the suez canal where you had the the ever given block the whole canal and that was just a shock that that disrupted everything and we've become such a globalized integrated world and economy, we all expect supply chains to function normally and smoothly, and, and we've discounted a lot of the risks that are out there. So if we're hoping to use the global supply chain to solve local or regional problems, in the past we've been able to do that, but we've had so many what I'm going to call black swan events, but I don't actually think they're black swan events. I think these are events that just at such a low probability, even though they had a massive impact, the risk management at most firms said, let's not look at them because what are the odds of a global pandemic happening? What are the odds of the Suez Canal getting blocked and shut down? What are the odds of Texas losing power for a week and, and all resin production being shut down? People just would have laughed at that a year ago or, or 18 months ago. And now we're, we're living through event after event after event happening. And part of it, I think, is, is just the resilience. Everyone is so worn down by COVID that they've, they've become less resilient and less able to see what's going on. But people are exhausted. The people that run the ships are completely exhausted. They've been on these ships for a long period of time. It's hard to get people to want to go onto the ships. It's hard to get the ships to continue to run very smoothly. And, and that has a real impact on the steady supply chains that we've seen in the past. So we, we expect that we can get easy supply of material from, from Asia all the time. And we order it, and we know that the lead time is 18 weeks. Well, maybe it's not 18 weeks now. Maybe it's 19, 20, 24, 25. We're seeing constraints in shipping containers. We're seeing exhausted capacity with on the the cargo ships that are moving things back and forth. So what we used to be able to see getting things from one region and moving it to another just isn't as possible anymore. Right. So, and the supply chain, we, you know, at least pre-COVID, we took for granted. We didn't even really think about it much, did we? And um, obviously that has uh, come to the fore. Um, 
So uh, given these conditions, uh, you know, I hate, I hate to call it a perfect storm, but it seems like it is one. Um, how are the plastics processors and injection molders in particular uh, dealing with the supply demand imbalance? Um, is it affecting their, um, their operations uh, significantly? It's having a massive impact on their operations and on profitability. And what we're seeing is them getting squeezed from the, the producer side. So the resin that they have to buy, the resin is still being sold at a premium. There's still profit in the resin. So if you're making resin, it's almost like you're shoveling, you're selling picks and shovels to the miners, right? You, you make a product and you can keep a margin there. And the injection molders buy it. And some of the ones that we're working with have actually increased their, the inventory that they're holding. They've got another warehouse full of it. But that has its own complexity because you have to bring in Gaylords and Gaylords of, of resin aren't ideal. If you've got high volume product, you don't want to have it in Gaylords. You want to have it in your silos. And getting another silo takes time and a lot of capital. And, and with with the profit squeeze, that just isn't really there. So they're tying up uh, working capital in resin, and they're tying up working capital in in uh, different things that they're they're doing. They're they're trying to negotiate higher price with the end consumer when it's possible. Those that work the auto industry are finding this exceptionally hard. Uh, we've been working with a couple of injection molders at this point, helping them to develop solid business cases and, and show their financials to their OEM customers so that they can lobby to get increased prices. Um, there's been some relief given because resin prices have gone up so much, but it hasn't been enough to preserve their margins. And when you start making a loss on a, on a regular basis, it's just not sustainable. So helping the, the end understand that this price, this price is no longer sustainable. It's not a model that works is, is an important thing. Um, we also see them putting a lot of new tools in place. So the, the leading companies are really looking at this from a, an innovative perspective, acknowledging that there's going to be price volatility, the likes of which they haven't seen before. Maybe since maybe there's some of it in 2017, 2018, when, when we saw massive spikes, but this isn't something that people are used to dealing with or they're prepared to deal with. So they're putting in technology in place to really make sure their shop floors, their injection molding machines have the best OEE that's possible. And they're trying to pull the levers. They're trying to deal with the staffing as best they can. They're trying to look at, at making strategic changes, possibly looking, you know, if they've been in automotive, how do they get into the medical area? How do they move and, and deal with different products so that they're not as tied to one particular market with, with price constraints? Really diversifying the business, figuring out how to operate more effectively, uh, improving their OEE, and then investing in their people. Uh, a lot of training going on right now, a lot of development, because there is just a, a, a big skill gap right now and and finding out a way to develop people to start to fill that skill gap rather than look for the outside look on the outside for people that are already trained is a is a key that we're seeing right now right certainly i i agree totally with that we 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 um, often write about companies that have programs in place for internships and and such um and as you say it's it's a there's a huge need for skilled labor which um the um it's not just plastics it's uh, it's all of manufacturing is, is dealing with this problem um so you were talking about 
price volatility, uh, that seems to be uh, something that we can expect in the future, I guess. Anything else um, you see coming, uh, playing out in the, in the next few months that um, that the plastics processors should be aware of? Well, I think we just don't know at this point in time. I, I think what I would say is expect the unexpected and, and start to look at your risk management very differently. None of us expected negative oil prices. None of us expected Texas to shut down. None of us expected COVID. Um, prepare your organizations to be resilient and be ready for increased resin prices. I, I don't see resin prices coming down anytime soon. I, I think there is going to be increasing demand. The stimulus is being pumped into the economy the return of workers and, and thus higher paychecks will really heat up the economy, at least in, in the United States. And I think Europe will follow shortly once they figure out the whole vaccine topic and then the rest of the world will, will fall in underneath. Uh, but we, we need people to be aware that there's going to be black swan events emerging all the time. And we need to think differently about them. We need to look at risk management very differently and, and quantify the risks much more and not discount the things that have an extremely high impact, but a very low probability because we've seen in the last 18 months, so many high impact, low probability events happen that we just weren't as a, as plastic processors looking at and, and need to take into account and understand how, how they could impact our businesses in the future. So I just, right. I'd say look at risk management and really have a formal, solid, strong risk management process. Well, maybe that's the answer to the next question I have, but let me let me pose the question anyway, <laughs> um, because um, um, you, you, your uh, Seraf put out a report, which I, th I found very interesting about the resin market. Um, and in that report, uh, I think you say uh, the, the the plastics industry or the resin market, I guess, can't endure one more wallop. Um, is there any specific possible event that is keeping you or that should keep plastics processors up at night, I guess is what I should say. Or is it is it really that, you know, is the message uh, do risk management and do it now? I think for me, the thing that keeps me up at night is is it's still COVID. I don't mm. think we're out of the woods yet on COVID. I think the new variants that are emerging, the, the B117, the B1135, are, are really nasty variants, and we're seeing more and more emerging. Um, one of the things we've been working on is setting up large vaccination centers where we're behind the scenes doing a lot of this to, to help get mass vaccinations happening in different parts of the country. Right. And it's it's a challenge right now because we're racing against the clock and we've gotten to a point of complacency where so many people have let their guard down. They're going out without masks, which may or may not have much effectiveness depending on the mask that you're wearing because we're not all necessarily wearing the right masks. We don't wash our masks, et cetera. It's a problem, but they're then going back into work and we're still seeing clients where they'll have small outbreaks in the workplace. And with the new, more virulent variants that are out there, this could be a much bigger impact for a lot of the companies that, that are doing this. Because you've got people that are close together. They're sitting together in, in break rooms. They're, they're more relaxed. Everyone's got COVID fatigue. So I, I still think that, that all of the, the risks that are out there 
a resurgence of COVID could be one that we're, we should be expecting, but most people aren't at this point in time. Uh, that's a good point. Um, and uh, I'm in uh, the Los Angeles area, so I see the complacency all of a sudden, actually. It's just starting to happen right now. Um, so a good good points, uh, Ambrose. Um, I think we're, um, run, we've run out of time here, so we're going to leave it there. I do want to thank you so much for taking the time to share your insights. And also want to thank our audience for listening. Um, you can find out more about Seraf's portfolio of services at its website, seraf.com. That's spelled S-E-R-A-P-H. And also invite you to visit the Plastics Today website at plasticstoday.com. Plastics Today is all one word. And if you want to keep an eye on the state of resin pricing, by the way, check out our weekly resin report under the resin pricing tab on the website. And that's it for this edition of Plastic Possibilities. Goodbye for now. Thank you.